This is the Find Your Forte podcast, episode 44. You have the passion. You have the education. Now it's time for the inspiration. Get ready to step up to the podium with purpose. This is the Find Your Forte podcast with choral director and lifestyle entrepreneur, Ryan Guth. Hey there, Choir Nation. This is Ryan Guth with the Find Your Forte podcast, bringing you another weekly Wednesday episode of the Find Your Forte podcast. This time, episode 44 with Angie Broker, and she is joining us from the University of St. Thomas in Minnesota. And uh, as I begin every episode, I have to ask her this one question. So, Angie, Choir Nation is ready. They're at the edge of their chairs, folders open, and looking your way. Are you ready to deliver the downbeat? Yeah, you betcha. All right. Oh, that sounds so (laughs) Minnesotan of you to say that. You betcha. Uh, Reminds me of uh, Bobby's World when I was a kid. Did you ever see Bobby's World, the cartoon? I didn't. Yeah. There was a Bobby's World was Howie Mandel, like uh-huh. played played every part, and nice. Mom was from Minnesota, and she goes Bobby, don't you know his name was Bo- <laughs> his name was Bobby Bobby Generic, or, or Bobby Generic, but people would call him Generic, and Mom would get all mad. Oh, it was just a great show, <laughs> brings back so many memories. So, okay, let's back. Let's get back to choral music. So. Um, Angie, the first question I've I've been asking is, you know, if I met you at a cocktail party and I said, nice to meet you, Angie, well, what do you do? Which is, I always say it's a terrible question to ask anybody. You should always ask something a lot more interesting than that. But if I were to ask you, what do you do? What would you tell me? At the deepest level, I walk into a room of people and we use music to express our commonality. Yeah. Wow. All right. You're, you're definitely going to get follow-up questions when you, when you, <laughs> ask, when you answer it that way. So that's oh, great. Darn. That's okay. great. No, this is like, this is marketing 101. You're, you're developing intrigue, you know, in, uh-huh. in, in your brand. So this is, this is very, very good. So, so say that again. You, you repeat this for me. I'm going to write it down. <laughs> well, I view the choral experience now in my elder years as one of expressing our humanity together. And I've seen what can happen with a community, both within that room and then as we reach out to audiences, to let people know we're all in this together, right? And that there's joy from the human experience and we tap into that and all human emotions. I'm afraid that not everybody gets to that point in their choral in their choral experience, whether whether they are choral uh, directors or choristers themselves or even audience members. You know, they never. That's that's the height. That's the what is, what's the top level in uh, that's the nirvana yeah, of of the choral experience. But I feel like not everybody will get to experience that in their lifetime, and that's, that's really a shame. So, so uh, I'm, I'm assuming that it's, it's your history brought you to where you are today. So would you explain to me a little bit about your, your musical upbringing and how you got involved and just bring so, us back? Yep. Um, I want to say, though, when you said the height of the experience, 
for me, it feels more like the depth of the experience. Oh, I like yeah. that. I like that. And uh, obviously, when I was 30 years old, I might not have been thinking about those things. I was thinking a lot about the technical aspects of making a beautiful choir. Mm-hmm. So, well, let's back up. Started playing the organ when I was nine years old, and I loved what it felt like to sit and play the organ, what that music did for me. And then in middle school, I accompanied the choir, right? And I sat and I listened, and I thought to myself, what would Mr. Kubli do? What would the choir sound like if Mr. Kubli did this or this or this? And I was hooked at that moment. I went to Indiana University for my undergraduate degree, but you guessed it. I wasn't admitted to the music department. I hmm. didn't pass my audition when I was 18 years old. Really? Okay. Really. So, so you, you were looking to go for music education or performance yep. or music, music education. education? And I took organ as my primary instrument. And growing up, I'd only done organ pieces that went boom chunk, boom chunk, boom chunk with the left foot and the left hand, you know? Oh, gotcha. And, yeah. And I went into that audition pretty unprepared, although I had learned a couple classical pieces. And they said, no, you don't have what it takes to be a musician. And then I left that audition. My high school director called the organ department on my behalf, and they let me in a year on probation. Okay, so did you learn learn pop organ is that what you were taking lessons on were you taking pop organ lessons it was pop organ that's what see that's very interesting because my mom who's a choral director who was episode 24 i think um took pop organ lessons and wasn't really a she didn't really do the classical thing as much until she actually got to college ding ding so this is, this is a very similar experience then. Yes, your mom and I should talk. You probably should. It's very interesting. Yeah, I mean, she, and she ended, up going, she ended up going to Westminster and, uh, then, and then learning all these, you know, incredible, yep. you know, you know, professional, you know, uh, classical pieces. Absolutely. But, I mean, but she you was, have a lot of catch-up to do, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. You, the, you can go from, uh, you know, the top 40 greatest hits in senior year of high school to, you know, Vierne finale at you know the uh, yes, by your senior yep. your senior recital in college, which is I thought was incredible, incredibly amazing. But um, so so you didn't get admitted as an organ major. You got you were admitted eventually on probation. Yes. How did wait? How did that feel? It felt different. You know, I had been pretty successful as a high school student and I don't know it was a wake-up call it was a challenge but maybe the first of many challenges that you just go do anyway did did do you do you feel like uh you were labeled as a child as a talented individual and were rewarded as such and when you got to this particular part of your life where there was a rejection of some kind, was that hard for you? I mean, it's a two-part question. Was the, the, were you ever, did you ever felt like you were labeled the talent, like a talented person so that you sort of had this expectation that, of course, I would get into this program because everybody's always told me I was 
talented. Yeah. So I have that's a, a two part answer. Mm-hmm. Yes, my social circles called me talented. No, I didn't have the expectation that I would audition for college and everything would be smooth sailing mm-hmm. because I was so naive. I mean, I didn't know anything about classical music or Western European music. I mean, I was, I was a suburban Indiana Hoosier. Mm-hmm. I just really hadn't lived that kind of life. Gotcha. And I didn't have parents who had, they were amazing parents, but hadn't raised me in that tradition. So... Yeah, I didn't have expectations. I wasn't surprised. I was disappointed I wasn't allowed in, um, but not surprised. How did your parents react? Um, you know, kind of as they've all, they always did, which is, well, you go, you learn what you know, you audition again, and you'll be successful. There wasn't any coddling of, oh, poor thing. It was, go do what you need to do. Now, in, in contrast uh, to their philosophy of not coddling and now being a university professor yourself do you see a difference in the way parents are bringing up their <laughs> their their children these oh, days gosh okay so i've got to answer that as it relates to the first question you know that deep within us i think things aren't that different at all society tends to change the outside parts and time seems to change the outside parts. But I think at our inner core, we're still the same kind of being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like we want to, we want to be the same type of being probably, you know what I'm saying? We're, we, I feel like we are, we're, we're crying out for the pendulum to swing back a little bit. In 2016, it seems like. I cry out for that a little bit, too. I think, for me, it's the desire to go deeper in a world that seems to be going by more quickly. And some things take time, you know. And the choral music process takes time. So, yeah. Right, and we always hear it's about the process, not about the product. That's the the most fulfilling part of is, is the journey, right? Not the destination. And uh, and we're a de- we're a society now that's pretty obsessed with the destination and yeah. and not the journey. I so. tell my graduate students that I teach in the summers, you know, I love the process, right? I love being in that room every day with those students, no matter who I'm conducting. But nobody comes in to see my process, you know. People come to see the product, to see the concert. So, yeah. Right, and we all feel judged by our product. And, and the thing that really shapes the choir, that shapes the individuals in the choir, that shapes the culture and the community of your choir it's not what happens on stage. It's what happens. It was, it was what happens for the weeks and months before you get on stage. And there's there's something really special about uh, about a choral director who can create a community of singers and not just a very fancy, you know, product at the end. Not a you know uh, a, uh, a, a a somebody who does it right in the in the months and weeks before the performance, right meaning creates that community and uh, you know makes it a special place for their for their singers. Uh, 
is to me so much more valuable than somebody who can crank out a really shiny product. You know, when the University of St. Thomas Chamber Singers sang at um, the Chicago ACDA convention, right beforehand we were standing in a circle talking about our aspirations for the performance and one of my jovial tenors said, I hope the audience is able to see what it is we do every day in rehearsal. And I thought, yeah, yeah. That, that to me summarizes what a performance can be. It can be sharing who we are every day with a larger audience. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's, 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 gosh, it's, it's so, do, do you feel like you accomplished that? Well, it certainly felt that way to all of us. So in that regard, yes. Do I know how it was perceived? No, but I know how it felt for those students. And that's, of course, who we're there for, right? Right. They, they walked away feeling like we did it. They did. Good. Yeah. Incredible. So moving on, you were telling me about a moment in time where you uh, you had a little setback when you were... 29 years old you're telling me in your pre your, your pre-interview and you know choir nation loves to hear about the failure moments or the moments of vulnerability and and uh it's it's incredibly humanizing for us to hear and you know even to the, the people who have gotten very far in their career they've all you know in 29 is 29 is later than than most people have those those uh <laughs> those moments of of questioning what they well i shouldn't say it's later than most people because I, I went through that at probably 28 so so yeah what 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 happened at 29 you're saying you would you left your doctoral program yes because i decided i didn't think i wanted to do music anymore oof oof da but i'll tell you what happened during that year off and subsequently you know looking back as wait well, hang on a second wait 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 back up yep why did you think you did not want to do music anymore. Like, bring us up to that point. What were you doing? I mean, 29, we, we, we put a gap here. We, we found out that you did not want to do, uh, I'm sorry, you were not accepted officially, in, you know, to the organ program. Then you were put on probation. I'm assuming you got your degree, everything was fine. You, yep. you got out into the world, and did you teach, or did you... Yeah, I went and taught at a middle school in Houston, Texas. Wow, okay. Guess what I taught? Choir, handbells, general music, advanced drama, and in-school suspension center. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's fun. And then I went back and got a master's degree, and I started my doctoral work. And I think, you know... It was a time in my life when I was searching and questioning. And it's hard to search and question when you're in the middle of a doctoral degree, you know? Mm -hmm. You kind of have to just be there with your nose in the score and do it. So I needed to step back and breathe a little bit and find out if this was really the path I wanted to choose. So I did. And I ended up working at United Way, which is a fundraising organization for social services. Yeah. Yeah, I learned a lot during that year. I saw an office full of women who sat around and thought of creative ways to help people. 
that was a huge influence on my life. And now looking back, I see how that part of what I do as a teacher and a conductor began with that experience. And I also, during that year, realized, of course, how much I missed making music. That was its greatest value. And my, uh, an organ teacher at IU sat with me at Nick's Bar in Bloomington, Indiana, across the table from me, close to the end of that year. And she reached out and she grabbed my hand and she said, you know what, Angie, <laughs> you're going to be a music teacher. You will. That is what you're here to do. And I know that you will continue to do that. And that had a huge impact on me, too, because her words felt true to me at that time. Mm -hmm. So I finished my doctoral degree. I went and taught at Westminster College in New Wilmington, Pennsylvania for six years and then came to the University of St. Thomas in 1999. And now you're caught up. There we are. Wow. And wow, the United Way. United Way. <coughs> you said it was a, a, a group of women that sat, sat around thinking of creative ways to help people. Yep. I feel like that's, that's kind of what we do in the, in the choral world. That's what we should do. Maybe yep. that's not what we always do, but it's what we should do. Yep. In, in the choral world, because you have this amazing opportunity to choose music uh, that speaks to people and their individual needs. And uh, I will always tell my choir before we go out to perform, I say, you never know what any individual audience member is going through today. And uh, you have no idea how you're going to touch them because they're never going to tell you. They're never going to reach out and say, what you did today, tonight uh, really impacted me. Most people come in, they listen, and, and they leave, and they, they would never approach you about it. But, but you're going to have, you know, 100, 1,000 people listening to you tonight that all come in with something, with a need that's, that's individual to, and, and uh, unique to them. So you better take this opportunity and make the most of it. And, uh, you know, that, I think it starts with the creative process of thinking about repertoire and how you can include enough of the, uh, enough uh, of, of an array of, of repertoire that speaks to the community, the choir, right? I think, I feel like this is something that you're very passionate about. Yeah. I love programming, you know, because at its best, it's the most creative thing we do. You know, my husband's a composer, and I love to compare programming a choir concert to him writing a piece, you know, because you're taking the audience on this journey through the music you select and how the music flows one piece into another. Mm -hmm. And I'm committed to helping my students and the world know that this wonderful Western European art music tradition, which I love and embrace, and my grad students will tell you that I say Monteverdi and Brahms are just the best, but that's just one of the group singing traditions in the world. Yes. And I want to show our students that all musics of all people are equally valid. So now I think about, you know, my palette of things I can choose from to bring to the choir and the audience. And the Western European art 
tradition is there and historic music is there and contemporary American music is there. But so is music from Turkey and Korea and the Maori people in New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And if I want a diverse choral population and I want to reach a diverse audience because I believe that this art form has value to everyone, then what can I do as a choral conductor to include everyone and everyone's music into our repertoire selection? Okay, so this brings up a very interesting point from a marketing perspective that I need to ask you about. We there's a quote in the business world that you know if you if you sell to everyone you sell to no one. And so I'm wondering whether this problem is solved with niche choirs that that are that work on specific types of repertoire or whether you feel as though you can put together a program that that can sell to everyone because because in the end we want we want to move people but in order to move people we need butts and seats mm-hmm. so so and unfortunately choral directors are not marketers <laughs> and uh so so i'm wondering i'm wondering uh if you've if you figured it out well, no, I don't have anything figured out, Ryan. Okay. <laughs> well, if you've gotten close, Ever. if you've However, gotten close or further than many of us have. No. So what I do hope I focus on are the students that are in my choral rehearsal, right? Because I would hope that we're educating them not only musically, but we're educating them as human beings and we're educating them socially, Mm-hmm. And if I only present one type of music to them, if the conversation revolves around which choir has the best choral sound, then I'm not doing what I need to do to help them see the world that they're walking into, right. which is no longer insular, right? And you can't hide in a little corner somewhere and just do your thing because that's not what the world is. So why not give them a taste of all the wonderful things that come our way from different parts of the world? Mm-hmm. Am I an expert in any of that? No. I, I feel incompetent and insecure as I try to share a lot of that music. But you know those opportunities also allow you to pair with someone who might be an expert in that music and then your life is richer because you've made that relationship. So I, you know, I would say try go for it and sometimes it'll work and sometimes it'll won't and that's just the way all of life works huh so do you you do you tend to ask for a lot of help when it comes to to <laughs> getting getting the, these programs to where they need where they need to be yes what type of help what, what what type of help do you ask for i ask for help from people who are within the culture, who are natives of the culture, who can help me understand the context for the piece. I ask for help with diction. (laughs) I ask for help with instrumentation and finding instrumentalists. I mean, I feel like I'm a beginner each time, right? But if I was in a profession where I felt like I had it figured out and I could do all of it without help, that wouldn't be any fun. Yeah. Well, it's you true, know, and you know Benjamin Franklin said that if you you know 
if you want to build a stronger connection with somebody, you know, all you need to do is ask them for help. You know, because they 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 want it's not the quote, but, uh, you know, it's it's something along those lines is that is reaching out, being vulnerable, asking somebody for help actually makes makes them more invested in, you know, in you. And uh, so if you want to become closer to somebody of influence, even reach out and ask them for help and they will uh, begin to take an interest in in you personally. Uh, But that's that's again nice little marketing thing for, for people of choir nation. So if you want to get closer to somebody, ask them for help, see what happens. Now, if you have a, here's a, here's a question that I think will be sort of very practical for the listeners of choir nation who tend to be in the public school world, middle school, high school, what advice would you give? Let's say, we'll we'll say middle school or high school. Maybe these could be two different answers. Um, but what would you what advice would you give somebody who would like to create a sort of more inclusive musical program for their next concert to program that concert is there a formula that you use is there no what advice okay so just give <laughs> advice i'm a i'm a 6th through 8th grade middle school choir director yeah. in a in a town that's gives me as much leeway as i need to as I need, as I can take, what would you tell me? What do I need to, to know? Well, you know, finding the repertoire itself is such a, a nonlinear process for me, you know? Mm-hmm. So I set my intention and then I start messing around, Googling stuff and looking at YouTube clips and mm, putting in the search box middle school choral competitions to see what comes up and you know things just kind of lead one into the other and something connects with you I think as a choral director so step one is figure out what you want to say step one is what what do I want to bring to these students to, the, to, to the students, not to the audience. Well, I think that comes. You know, when you were talking a bit ago about marketing and um, appealing to everyone, et cetera, et cetera. I think when the choir is on board and enthusiastic with what you're doing, mm-hmm. that that enthusiasm generates audience. I agree. I totally I agree. I found that, you know. I agree. It um, is, it's very interesting. When... When I first started this podcast, yep. I I developed what was called an avatar, which is the ideal listener. And the ideal listener of this podcast was I I I named him I named him Randy. Nice. And he was actually me. He nice. like like you know, he was he was, you know, he was 29 years old. He lived in a suburban town in New Jersey. He drove a black SUV 45 minutes to, to his public school job every morning. It was like a big, gigantic document. It was a biography of Randy's life. And, and, it, and it, when I was done writing it, I was like, oh, holy crap, that's me. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, because I, I produced the podcast that I needed. Yeah. And I noticed that when I when I 
and this is a this is a again a very strong marketing technique is when you focus on one particular person or group, right? Like if you focus on your choir, what your choir needs, and you go and you go full force in that direction, you will notice that from the sidelines, people begin to be attracted to that focus and they come in off the side, even though they're not Randy, even though they're not your choir, they become intrigued with what it is that you're doing. So you don't actually, you don't create a marketing plan to everyone. You create a marketing plan to a one particular need, one particular person or niche. And then you'll notice that because of people are attracted to your focus, your level of focus, and uh, they begin to draw out of your concert, out of your podcast, out of your business, the things that they need, and then they'll even discover things that they didn't need, they didn't even know they needed until they until they heard it. So, I think it's a really great way to look at it because your choir has to be the most in- enthusiastic about what it is that they're that they're putting out because uh, if they're not inspired, unfortunately, they're not going to they're not going to inspire anybody else. Agreed. Okay, so that's so step one is figure out what your choir needs. Mm-hmm. Okay. So what would step two be then in the, in the programming process? Well, I go to the repertoire, right? Because that just starts shaping what the concert preparation experience time is going to look like. Um, and that's a really difficult thing for me to give a formulaic description of, right? Well, you already started. You said you want you would find a, a subject. You'd start Googling. You'd YouTube. Yep. You know, and I you could pull want... out old... Do you, do you save old concert programs? Yes, I do. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I did that more in my early career when other kinds of research was not so easy. Yeah. Um, yeah, boy, I just love it. I love the hunt of finding the repertoire. And I love the excitement I feel when I find pieces that I'm dying to share with people and when I find pieces that fit together somehow Mm -hmm. or lead us into something. Can I give you a quick example? Of course you can. Yeah. So we're doing uh, a concert at the University of St. Thomas in May and its theme is, I think the name of it is um, Better Way. And it's around the theme of unity, right? So I chose texts for the first half of the concert that somehow exemplify the difficulties in our world right now. Mm-hmm. That was kind of easy, right? And then a piece, um, a pop piece called There Must Be a Better Way. And then a set of texts that are texts of hope, especially for this generation that we're teaching. And once those cogs started moving, you know, once I kind of knew what the overall arch of the program would be, then pieces just started popping up. And I just think that's ha- that happens. Those are the creative muses that are out there waiting to lead us to this piece and this piece and this piece. I had a teacher once that talked about the aha experience, right? And that's what the programming feels like to me. It's everything's churning inside. There are a lot of options. At some point, it feels like disarray. 
And then things settle down and you have that aha. Now I know how the concert is going to progress. Yeah. So kind of touchy feely, I know, but yeah, no, but it's, I can't boil it down to, okay, you do this step and then this step and then this step because it's such an organic process. But it's, a, it's a muse, but it's a music centric process. Yes. It's not an ego centric process. Right. And it's not really, it's not even really about the, the choir. It's about, well, I mean, in, in this example, the, well, what the, the world choir, needs a little bit though, too. Yeah. Well, two points of that. The choir is always the overarching umbrella. Are they, are they involved? Do you involve them in repertoire? <laughs> that's, that's an interesting question, right? It's a fascinating question. And, you know, for this semester, I was on sabbatical last semester, and so I had some time to think about things. This semester, in each choir, we're doing a student choice piece. And they all submitted names of pieces they wanted to do. And we did a big online poll, and we had drum rolls, and it was fun. And I think we'll continue to do that. It might take different focus each semester. Did any of those pieces surprise you? Um, Well, it was really interesting to see the... hmm, How can I say this? The list of pieces differed depending on the choir. So that was really fun to see. That this choir had a personality kind of unto itself. Mm Mm-hmm that led them to this body of repertoire and this choir led them to this body of repertoire. And those were really fun things to learn. Mm -hmm. I mean, you learn so much as an instructor Mm -hmm. by doing a survey like that. It's one way to check in with your ensemble and uh, stay hip. (laughs) Absolutely. And I'll tell you, that's getting harder every year. Staying hip, (laughs) harder and harder. Can you explain to me, I'm, I'm, uh, Choir Nation, I'm uh, on video conference right now with Angie, and, and uh, above her left shoulder is the official oral exam bucket. <laughs> what is it? It says it's a red bucket that says official oral exam bucket, and it's on the side. What is that? Is that a vomit bucket? And then below that, you can't see the little letters, Ryan, but it says just in case dot dot dot. It was um, some joke that one of our grad students um, brought into her oral exam for the master's degree. Mm. And so now we have it here. Yes, it was for uh, vomit, and we just leave it in here. And it's a joke. It was a pre, pre-oral exam vomit bucket? It was, yeah. Or post. But, is, it more, is it more likely that you'll vomit before or after the oral exam? Oh, the thing about getting your master's degree at St. Thomas, Ryan, is no one would ever think to vomit because the oral exam is a really fun experience. Really? Yes. All right, well, you'll get my application soon then. Cause I've, Good. Because I have, I'll, I'll tell you, I have friends, I have friends in the choral world who've, you know, who go through their, their orals and they're like, oh, I just... I guess I don't know anything about, about music. <laughs> At the University of St. Thomas, we just talk as if we're colleagues. We just talk about music. Mm-hmm. It's fun. Gosh, that's that'd be very interesting. We should there should be a mock oral exam uh, experience for for people that that are that's not actually ma- graduate students, just to see. Just to see how how much they know or think they know, or or just as a way to to check in with themselves and and uh, you know 
charge a, charge you know charge a thousand dollars. Yeah. You know, put it toward put it put the money back into your budget. Yeah. You know, deflate a couple egos in the meantime. You know, it's it, that might be a way to do it. But I love my oral exams for my doctoral um, degree. I you enjoyed it, them? Yes, I loved it. Really? Yes, we mostly talked about how music went downhill after Monteverdi. <laughs> wow. And I had to make a comment like that, you know. I feel like J.S. Bach would take issue with you. Yeah, probably, but, you know. Anyway, it was fun. That's great. Well, it's a, it's a great subject. Did you, wait, did you get to pose the, the subject? No, somebody had asked me a question that led me to say that sentence. And oh, then, okay. of course, everyone thought it was such a provocative sentence that we, we stayed on that subject for a while. Well, you're, you're clearly a marketer at heart then. See, see, yeah, if, if you put out a blog post that said that, you know, the music went downhill after Monteverdi, you'd get a lot of clicks. <laughs> you would get a I lot of clicks. Yeah. People yeah. might not agree with you in the content, right. but you'll certainly get a lot of clicks. And the beautiful thing is, is that there's going to be a, a number of people that click that will agree with you and, and you will grow well, that tribe. Yeah. You know, I was 34, so I may not believe that now, but at the time I think I did, so... Yeah. And 34 is not supposed to be the years of uh, arrogance. We're supposed to be over that by then. What's what's going on? Oh, I wasn't arrogant. I was just always passionate about early music. Oh, okay. I, I still I am, I think. Yeah. What what is what is people why are people so obsessed with early music? I want to know. Tell tell me. Tell me right now. I need I need to know why why are why are our choral our choral colleagues so obsessed with it? Because it's I never I never hear somebody say I'm obsessed with with rom, like German romantic choral music. I mean I know plenty of people that are, but yeah. but but we don't ever really hear as passionate people about about that that genre versus early music. Yeah, I think for I can just speak for me personally. It's the it's the intimacy of that music. It's the fact that... Is it because you don't have to recruit for your choir to do it? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's like at its, at its ultimate best, you know, it doesn't need a conductor. Right. Maybe that's what I like about it. It, 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 and it I love sings itself. Go ahead. It's, it's because it sings itself. Yeah, I mean, because it's... Um, akin to chamber music in that way mm -hmm. in some regards, right? It's a group of people making music together. Yeah, that's what's appealed to me, I think. Hmm. And I love the harpsichord. Does that count for anything? No, you're allowed to love anything you want. Yeah, and I love lutes, and I just love the sound. I'm a sack butt kind of guy myself. <laughs> of course you are, Ryan. Ryan and the sack butt. <laughs> that's right. That's my children's book coming out, Ryan and the sack butt. Exactly. <laughs> You know. Oh, nice! You could have a connect the dot in there. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, unfortunately, your your average your average uh, American family would probably never allow their child to pick that book up off the shelf because they don't know what it what they could be getting into. But uh, so we are uh, we're getting to the time uh, where the interview is beginning to to wind down. But I have a couple. Quick questions, if you don't mind uh, answering them in the next five minutes. Is that possible? Yes. Okay, go. perfect, perfect. So I want to ask you um, what you're most excited about right now. 
I'm excited about bringing love into a world that feels really divided. And I'm excited about providing all kinds of experiences for students that allows them to connect with people who might not look like them or believe the things that they believe. I feel like that's the work of our world and that as choral musicians, we can use the choral music experience to get at that. Beautiful. I love it. Believe me, this is not the last that Choir Nation has heard from Angie Broker. I'm just telling you that right now. So <laughs> you, you, you've, that statement just committed you additional Uh-oh. episodes. Uh-oh. So um, what advice would you give your 29-year-old self? Yeah, boy, I, um, I can tell you that for sure. Okay. Um, I would tell her that throughout your life, there's going to be nothing more important than your spiritual journey and that that has to stay on the front burner no matter how busy you get. Because I can tell you, Ryan, that the times in my life that I felt the most challenged are the times when that has not been on the proverbial front burner. Mm-hmm. That's what I would tell her. And yeah. And I would tell her she is totally okay. Like everything's going to be all right. Well, that she doesn't need to be concerned as concerned as she is about so many things. That's a very common. That's a very common thread amongst the answers to that question. I feel I like. Bet. Yep. In your opinion, mm-hmm. what do you believe makes an outstanding conductor or educator? Ah, uh, so first of all, it's a person who has studied himself or herself as a learner. I think. And it's that ability to connect with your learners where they are in order to take them forward on their journey. And you have to be able to reflect on your teaching, you know, Mm -hmm. as temporarily painful as that might be, to filter out what worked and things you want to keep and things that didn't work so well that you want to revise. And I think you have to be creative and I think you have to go into the teaching situation with an attitude of service, you know? On my good days, when my students walk through the room, I think to myself, how can I be of service to you today? Mm-hmm. On my bad days, I'm not thinking that. But. <laughs> <laughs> can you walk us through briefly your morning routine? When you get up in the morning, what's, what are the, what's the first 60 to 90 minutes of your morning look like? Yeah, well... I get up and get ready, obviously, but I look at the repertoire I'm going to rehearse for that day. I catch up on some logistical stuff I might have to do. I get in my car to drive to work. Sometimes I have to get the beer truck out of the alley because it's blocking my garage. The beer truck? Beer truck. We share an alley with a liquor store. What can I say? It has its perks, though. Wait, what, t- what city are you in? I'm in St. Paul. You are? Mm-hmm. And you are you're in like a townhouse or something or no? I'm in a regular house, but there happens to be a little strip mall on the back side of our homes on our block. Oh, okay. And that strip mall has a liquor store. Go figure. So sometimes well, if, if they leave the door open, just help yourself. You know, that's right. It's the least they can do, considering they make me wait to get into my car. Right. What, what do you so. eat for breakfast? What do I eat for breakfast, Ryan? I, I ate cocoa puffs twice yesterday. That oh, was breakfast and lunch. So I'll I'll, I'll even. I can start you off. 
Well, I'm a hot chocolate fan, and everyone who's ever had me as a teacher would tell you that I'm addicted to iced tea. I get an iced tea on my way to work, even if it's 30 below and snowing in Minnesota. From Starbucks? Um, or wherever I'm close. Okay, Somewhere. iced tea. Wow. Yes, and then I condemn myself for my plastic cup. When do you I have both? Do you have both kidneys? <laughs> do I have both kidneys? <laughs> that is the best interview question anyone has ever asked. The best. Do you yes, have? I do. You do. Okay. Because I have a, I have, I have a family friend who was like addicted to iced tea, who ended up having like serious kidney problems. So shush. Be quiet. Do not <laughs> say that out loud. All right. What is your favorite personal growth or music book? Because Choir Nation has the opportunity to head on over to my website, which is ryanguth.com forward slash 044 for episode 44, and pick up a copy of this book that you're about to tell me right now. And if it's available on audiobook, there's a little banner on the right-hand side of my website. If they click that banner, they can get a free download from Audible, which is Amazon, essentially, of, the, of this book, if it is available in audio. So, so either way, we're getting some books out to the world. We're going to make it a better place. So what is, uh, what is your favorite personal growth or music book, Angie? It's a personal growth book, and it's called Radical Acceptance, and it's by the author Tara Brock, B-R-A-C-H. I have not read this book, but I know of it, Radical Acceptance, Tara Brock. Okay, we're going to put a link on that page, so ryanguth.com forward slash 044. You can head on over there. Click that link. You will support the podcast. Choir Nation is the least you could do. Okay, listen, I'm bringing you this gold today. This is gold. So click that link. I will get a small commission. It will not be a commission that will increase the price of your book at all. Uh, it will just make me feel good that people are listening and, uh, and that people are ready to radically accept. So Radical Acceptance by Radical Acceptance. My diction is a little off this morning. By Sarah Brock. Tara Brock. Tara or Sarah? Tara. Tara Brock. Very good. All right. Um, I haven't asked this question in a long time, but I'm, I'm going to ask it because I enjoy this conversation. If you only had one concert left in your lifetime, mm. acquire it with limitless ability, mm. access to a sold-out concert venue of your choosing, mm. where would your final concert be and what would be the last piece on that program? Well, I'd do a major work, right? I would do the Brahms Requiem, mm -hmm. and I would probably do it in Vienna, the Musikverein, someplace where Brahms was, because I love the guy. Thank you for not dodging that question, because I've had people dodge that question, like, how could you possibly ask me that? Yeah, well, this is great. And, and you know, but the number one answer hmm. is the Brahms Requiem. Is it? It is. Oh, see that? UST grad students. Did you hear that? Did you hear that? It's not just me. There you go. No, it's that is if you go back and listen, it is it is the uh it's the number one number one answer, it's the Brahms Requiem. Yeah. Actually, no, I'm sorry, it's not. It's like number two. <laughs> number one is the Donanobis Pachem from the Bach B minor mass. Yeah, that's pretty amazing too. So yeah. there is that. All right, so Give Choir Nation some words of encouragement and then let us know how we can find you online and, or find out what you're doing and, uh, and stay in touch. You bet. Um, 
first of all, as I tell my grad students, take risks. Inside, I'm completely fearful and insecure, but my goodness, my hand has gone up a lot when anybody has said, would you like to do blah, 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 just because I know what it's going to do for me in terms of my growth as a musician and a person. Take risks. And also realize that nobody has this figured out. We old people don't have it figured out. People who act like they have it figured out don't have it figured out. None of us have it figured out. If somebody had told me that when I was 25, I think it would have changed my life. We're all in this together, right? Everybody shares together. And there's nobody who's um, above anyone else on some proverbial choral hierarchy. That's what I think. Amen. And let's see. Share your vulnerabilities. That's my last thing. Because that's the thing that unites us, right? And when you do that, the music comes alive in a different way. And if anybody wants to reach me, I'm on Facebook. I'm also on the UST website. If you look under the music department, I come up early in the list because my last name begins with B. Perfect. Yeah. Well, thank you. You know, uh, I want to make sure that that Choir Nation knows uh, that if they go to facebook.com, I post relevant links there in the Choir Nation Facebook group. So it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Choir Nation. That is an exclusive positive choral community there on Facebook. Uh, Angie, you're more than welcome to join us in, in Choir Nation. And uh, so, yeah, again, it's facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Choir Nation or just search us out there and join us uh on the Choir Nation Facebook group, and I'll be posting this episode and any relevant links uh, there, as well as the uh, episodes that come after. And any, we also have some fun conversations in, in there as well that are uh, incredibly positive and uh, never snobby. So hmm. come on over. Uh, so Angie, thank you. You've definitely helped our audience in Choir Nation to step up to the podium with purpose today. So thank you for being my guest on the Find Your Forte podcast. It was so much fun, Ryan. Thanks for asking me. Thank you for listening to Find Your Forte with Ryan Guth. As always, join Ryan online at www.ryanguth.com for detailed show notes and discussions on every episode. If you like what you're hearing, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. Until next time, be amazing.